Vietnam market is evolving in terms of digitalization. When I returned to Vietnam in 2017, look at the unbanked in Vietnam. 40% still unbanked. Now it's going to around, estimate around 15%. Cash on delivery was more than 90% in 2017. Now, that actually reduced down to 40% or less. Look at the payment itself from, from the market. Based on my personal experience, 2017, I tried to have a very simple meal next to my house, very heavy cash driven. Now, they say, no, don't pay cash, just transfer your using QR. Same shop, same person. And she's not even young. So what it means is, it's actually transforming from just a young audience using digital banks, but also the, I would say, more traditional target audience start using them and accepting them. It's just, it doesn't stop just payment or banking, also going into insurance, stock trading, investing, and even with EID and e-tax payment. Hi folks, welcome back to On Call with Insignia, where we go on call with leaders innovating the future of Southeast Asia's internet and digital economy, or as we like to call it, ASEAN Innovation. I'm your host, Paolo Aquino, and we have a return guest in our call today, none other than the founder and CEO of Finhei, uh, Hu Yingyem, who is coming back on the show after a year. So our last call was around, actually around this time, June 2022. And so happy to have him back. I'm sure a lot has happened, not just with Finhei as a company, but also in the Vietnamese market. And it's not, it's been a while since we've had a guest uh, from Vietnam come on the show and talk about the landscape and the market. Um, and what opportunities are there for tech and innovation. Thanks again for coming back on the show, Hui. How are you doing? Yeah, thank you. Thank you, Paolo. Very glad to be back with the senior team and going back to uh, the podcast. And I'm happy to say more what happening. There's a lot of things happened last year, I'm sure, all around the world. And very fortunate to be back here today. I'm happy to say one and one here. Yeah. So just a recap for our listeners, right? So in, in June last year, Finhei announced its Series B. At that time, they had crossed 2.7 million users and they were particularly seeing growth in, in their stock trading product amidst, again, the I guess the market uncertainty, which still continues until today. So how would you describe how Finhei has grown since then? Maybe you can share, summarize it in three numbers. What are the three key numbers for our listeners to take away from how Finhei has grown since over the last year? Yeah, I think last year itself, it speaks for itself. A lot of time, Tumblins, things happen all around the world, inflation hike, all of that. And then Vietnam was an exception, and then which also affect our business because we are in the financial center. However, the good thing about Pinhei during that time was, not sure if you remember, like we actually bought a security firm last year, and it took us one year and four months to restructure the company and officially launch out just three weeks ago. Um, so to think the time, the time itself works really well for us. We were not in rush pushing our new product and having more marketing plans and so on and campaign going on. But instead, we spend more time on restructuring, improving the product itself, and also improving our back end and the server. 
So in essence, it was a good year for Copenhagen as in like restructuring, improving our performance and having the stock trading ready in the market. In terms of numbers, so yes, you mentioned about 2.7 registered users. We have more than 3 million right now. Since we are part of the security business and we are very fortunate to be what they call a new wave of security firm, because we come from a technical ground, uh, be in financial service. And then for that content itself, it created a new wave in, in the market recently. So last month, we contributed to the market with more than 10,000 new traders that enter in the market. What I mean by last month, I mean April. And then in May, we also contributed to 20,000, almost 20,000 new traders that enter in the market. So far, the business itself is doing well for us after the restructuring. And I look forward to see more results from it. Yeah, so now more than 3 million users and in the last two months, so April, May, 10,000 in April, 20,000 in May, contributing to new traders. So really representing this new wave, as you mentioned, of new wave of security firms. And speaking of restructuring, you mentioned about that. I think FinHay has also evolved as an organization. So maybe you could speak a little bit about what that means exactly. What is what is restructuring meant for FinHay? And I think FinHay has also become evolved into what we call like a smart investment platform, right? Uh, with right. all of its products authorized by the State Securities Commission in Vietnam. So maybe you can talk about that and what it means for FinHay moving forward. Sure. So prior to the security field that we bought, positioned ourselves as micro investment. So we had a lot of what I call a small and medium-sized investor type. And there's a lot of them out there in the market. Uh, and we do see potential in the Apple, Apple sort of, uh, I would say, segment, uh, what I mass affluence. So generally, we have a mass audience segment we have, the mass affluence. So this is a new target segment that we want to capture next. Since we already have 3 million of the mass already, but now potential for the mass affluence is still huge in the market. Having a security firm that we bought, strengthen our positioning. So we are no longer just micro investment platform, but become an all-right investment platform, a smart, a smart all-right investment platform. What a definition by smart. So what we have seen so far in the market, the insight that we did the research on, the mass affluent or the semi-pro investor or traders, they generally have full-time jobs. Generally, they're quite busy. And in a week, they can make a trade around one trade per day. The very micro moment. And they don't have a lot of time to be looking in depth into the company problems. So first, as a business service provider, a smart investment platform means provide precise and relevant information to them. For example, basic information from revenue, world's listed company, and also we provide tools for them so they can make trades within single clicks. And also we create smart portfolio so that they can invest into that smart portfolio in a few clicks instead of you know, choose strategy and all this. So that repositioning really is smart. So there are more and more smart tools available on our platform, allowing users to actually invest easily and easily. I want to incorporate into this as AI application as well. 
as you can see, OpenAI, ChatGPT being available last year, and GPT-4 pretty much available already. So we are using GPT-4 on certain goals we see now. With this, we have a lot of data, business data, so we want to get that and then feed relevant data to user without having a number of analysts behind and feeding out data to consumers. So that AI component helps improving that smart component that we have in our platform. Yeah, actually, I wanted to ask about that AI component a little bit later on. So for listeners, stay tuned. We're going to get to that. But first, I just wanted to recap. So this, I would say like transition from micro investment platform to smart investment platform really represents like a shift in focus or an expanded focus rather in terms of the market that you're looking at, right? So not just, again, not just the mass audience, as you mentioned, but the mass affluent who actually are interested and have the money to trade and make these investments, but need information, need more education and accessibility and convenience when making these investments. In our last, in our last podcast, you talked about all these different products that Fine has, apart from the, the stock trading, there's also savings. There's also, I think, gold investment as well and all of that. So have you noticed any particular new interesting trends in terms of investor behavior on the Finhay platform over the past year? Yeah, we observed our user behavior stage in our last podcast and what happened around the world in Vietnam market. And end of last year, we have seen user being more conservative. Sure. Yeah, similar to on the platform around the world. Not really unique. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so we have seen user change their behavior from risk into more of a conservative approach. So they put a lot more money into the fixed income product that we have within our platform. However, recently the market been performing quite okay. It's in the shift in money flow from fixed income into equity, specifically stock. And our volume been increasing in the last few days. Vietnam market so increasing volume to show that you know, the side of uh, the market itself uh, quite correlated with the index and our uh, trading volume. So that's what we have observed so far. However, we still have a, a group of users that are still using fixed income. So they are quite strong and female dominant. Like to save, have a solid return. However, male dominant tend to be more rich taker in the event of market uptrend. They shift their income to equity investment, which is quite interesting that we have also so far. I guess that's a that's maybe like a cultural thing within Vietnam with regards how, to how they think about savings and money. And that kind of, you talked about this uptake recently in terms of the market activity, investment activity in equity assets. Does this mean anything with regards to like the, the bigger picture of the Vietnamese economy? How has Vietnam's economy been responding to the global economic uncertainties that have continued to, to this year? And how has Fin Hay been adapting to these, to these stresses? Yeah, so we, we actually, so based on my observation in the market, Vietnamese government has been responding quite well with what happened all around the world. We actually reduced our interest a couple of times already, and we do see the effect in the market. So by end of last year, the interest from banks, one year term was, can go up to 12% a year. I mean, like we had a couple increase in the interest and then quarter one this year, we started to see the central bank stepping on Vietnam, creating pressure and also requiring bank to reduce the interest. And they also reduce their 
what I call the interest, real interest and so on already. So asking the team, the banks to also reduce interest. So the one year term interest in Vietnam is going down to around 8% a year, which is quite similar to the COVID period and expect you even lower. So I will say the market itself and also the government regulators been responding quite well with what happened all around the world and also what happened internally in Vietnam. Inflation rate actually is controlled, at least in the last quarter. I hope that in Q2, also control oil price happened to be very well controlled. It used to be like $1.5 per, per liter in Vietnam, but now it's going down to less than a dollar. There was a time that it actually dropped down to 80, 85 cents, which is quite low. But overall, the macro itself is doing quite well. So you've talked about all these like macro, macro trends and things are looking up for Vietnam. Maybe you can talk a little bit more about how specifically this has impacted Finhay's various product activity and user activity on, on your, on your investment platform. But with all those market, uh, macro updates and data that we observed in the last few months and also end of last year, we just see a certain side that actually support the trading volume may go back sooner than we expected. Especially on the fiscal policy, on the government of Vietnam, been pushing to spend on government spending, infrastructure investment, and improving infrastructure, and so on. So that means that money will flow back to the market. At the same time, monetary policy inflation being reduced, the saving rate is no longer attractive. So, yeah, given that real estate market is still in trouble, then you know. The investment options are very limited. So where else they get money into? Stock market. And in the last few weeks, we have seen the volume be increasing quite drastically. Normally, it was about like 500 million, 600 million in a day. Now, jumping to 800 million in a day, quite consistently. And also the sentiment itself being quite positive. And we found out that it's actually the very good opportunity for us to offer margin trading in the market for our semi-pro and pro traders within our platform. And seen only a few days and beta to very few people, we have seen a, what I call, almost the amount of margin required and the cash flow to them to leverage. And that creates a new revenue stream for the company. And it's actually very good product we have seen so far in the last few weeks. Yeah. And do you see, you talked about a lot this rebound of the stock markets. Do you see the factors driving this to be more long-term or do you see it as more short-term? What's your sense of that? Uh, my sense is this is more short-term. Mm-hmm. Increasing from a 600, 600 million trading volume in a day to 800 million. Can we keep that 800 million in the next few months? That's a question that we need to answer platform perspective from the market itself. But if it's not keeping at 800 million and then going down to, let's say, 700 million, still better than normally 500 million. Let's create a new benchmark for the market. Mm. So we do see this as a potential. So short-term jump in trading volume, but then we create a new benchmark. So I would say short-term. However, there's a lot of long-term uncertainty all around the world, including Vietnam. 
So I, I do see the long term it is yet clear, but mm -hmm. this, as a result of short term, yes. And I think you you also tackled this the similar question in our last podcast, and you did talk about how because you don't just have the stock trading product, you also have fixed income, and you have these diverse like asset classes where users can invest. Then they can always shift around <laughs> depending on where the market is and where the opportunity is. And I wanted to shift gears and talk about another theme that you always mention in, in, in our podcast episodes. This is your third time here. And I noticed that you always talk about how Vietnam and the Vietnamese government in particular is always pushing for digitalization and how Finhei is playing its own role in that digitalization initiative. So maybe you can speak a little bit to how that digital, these digitalization efforts have evolved over the past year. And no. for you as a fintech CEO, like what are the biggest challenges ahead for Vietnam's digitalization effort? So I think before going to this question, I want to comment on what you mentioned earlier. Oh, sure. The whole idea of FinTech platform is to have a holistic investment option for users. So they don't have to jump around different apps, different services to invest in this asset and that asset. The clients have enough option for them to divest their money in the platform and they don't have to go anywhere else. And that can be done within few clicks. That can be done online. There's no human leader to support all that. They can invest in fixed income during the market turbulence. They can invest in stock during the good the good time. They can even balance the portfolio. They can even invest in more traditional assets like gold with us. So again, they have enough option to do so. That's is the the advantage that we have as the, uh, the smart investment platform diverse investment classes. Okay, going back to digitalization. Yes, Vietnam market is evolving in terms of digitalization. You know, when I returned to Vietnam in 2017, look at the unbanked in Vietnam, 40% still unbanked. Now it's going to around, estimate around 15%. Cash on delivery was more than 90%. In 2017, now that actually reduced down to 40% or less. Look at the payment itself from, from the market. Based on my personal experience, 2017, I had to have a very simple meal next to my house, very heavy cash driven. Now they say, no, don't pay cash, just transfer your using QR. Same shop, same person, and she's not even young. So what it means is it's actually transforming from just a young audience using digital banks, but also the, I will say, more traditional target audience started using them and accepting them. It's just, it doesn't stop just payment or banking. It's also going into insurance stock trading, investing, and even with EID and e-tax payment. So recently, the Vietnam government be pushing on EID. What it means that in coming years, we may not need a physical ID anymore. Just need to sell our EID and that EID can be used at the airport, the public services, and so on. And, and that will be very helpful. Or another example is 
the cattle before 2021. If you go to the cattle, there's still a booth person sitting there and you, know, you have to pay cash and this. And now 100% ETO. So uh, just like Singapore, you, know, you have ETO. So Vietnam did find it quite heavily. So all these, I would say, enforcement and transformation in the digitization is very important and that creating a trend that not just the government sector, but also private sector are moving into this. So to me, from my observation and being in the market, this is the only trend, but it's a needed. So that we start seeing the momentum happening, right? Thanks for painting really that exciting picture, I think. Amidst all the uncertainty today, it's really good to look at the big picture and see how things have changed over time. I like your story about how the lady at the shop where you're eating has changed the way that she's accepting payments. Do you see something similar also with the users of Pinhey? Like, I know you talked about the your market segment in terms of mass affluent, mass audience, but do you also see some sure. kind of like segmentation in terms of the demographics of the age group? You also see like older people yeah. using Pinhey and yeah. Oh, yeah, we do see uh, older age group using our platform. However, the main audience that we have is still ranging 25 to 35. These are quite thick savvy in Vietnam mm -hmm. already. On our platform, seeing the first day we don't send cash. Everything has been done electronically already. Our data might be quite biased because the clients that use our platform are quite tech savvy already. So that's what we have seen so far. But the good thing is in 2020, in 2020, 19, 2019 and 2020, we were the very first one in the market that introduced a virtual account concept to end clients. During that time, a lot of people asked, why do I have this account and so on? Now it's that big. Very popular, and not just with CDA, but also from other services. They do see the need of using this kind of virtual accounts and banks, and clients just accepted it without additional questions. But in 2020, 2019, lots of questions about it. So to explain a little bit more about what is virtual accounts. So basically, virtual accounts are separate account from banks that bank created for you, so that way. A uh, client will send money to that virtual account. It identifies where the money comes from. Before this, you know, if you are a service, having a lot of people sending money to your company, you don't know where money from is from, then it's very hard to credit the money into the system for them to start trading and so on. So the virtual account was created so that it creates a sub account within that main account. So every time that I pass from money to that sub-account, we know for sure that money comes from the other so that we can credit the money accordingly and correctly. So that account would be since like, let's say if you have, if you are a, a merchant that you have thousand clients and the account receivable and payable, receivable means you have claim A, B, C, and if you don't, if someone sends money to you without any description or anything, you don't know who paid the money. Right. <laughs> so anyway, so take a step back. So virtual account was coined by, um, so we, so Saffron Bank and Finay were the very first one to introduce this kind of concept in the market and then look at the market right now. Many banks been offering this kind of service and the ecosystem inherited it. 
No, I think that's a really great example of how Finhei has really been pioneering a lot of these things in the market. And it's really interesting to be like a first mover in that regard, right? And continue to lead the way, so to speak, especially when it comes to digital online investing. Our conversation with Hui continues in next week's episode, where he shares more about Vietnam's tech talent pool, the implications of generative AI on Finhei and Vietnam, among other topics. Follow us or subscribe wherever you're watching or listening to this call so you get notified on the next one and I'll catch you there.